Welcome to the Bend ICOC podcast, where we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Don't forget to leave us a review and a rating, and thank you very much for listening. All right, so you, let's turn our Bibles over to Ezra chapter 10. Quick reminder of who Ezra is and what's happened up to this point. Ezra's coming to Jerusalem. He's a man, a scribe, who had a heart to study God's word, to do it, and to teach it to others. And today we get to see him doing that. <laughs> All of that come to fruition and action. He takes courage, we read about in chapter 8 and 9. He takes courage not only for the journey, but for what he's about to do in Ezra chapter 10 here. He goes through quite a lot of sorrow here in Ezra chapter 10, so he needs to have courage. And it's the same for us, by the way. If we take courage, you know, if we make a stand on God's word, there will be things that come up that might cause great sorrow when we live out the word of God. But that's why we need courage. We need God's reassurance that we can go through them. So let's begin reading in Ezra chapter 10, verse 1. It says, well, and this is in the NIV, while Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him. They too wept bitterly, drenched in tears. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, and one of his descendants of Elam said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. And that's what they found out in the previous chapter. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Rise up, this matter is in your hands. We will support you, so take courage and do it. Let's hold up right there. You know, we've been speaking throughout Ezra about a spirit-stirred remnant, these people who are renewing. That's always a minority at first, a remnant that takes a stand on the word of God. And one one mark of these powerful movements of the Holy Spirit in these people is that they're going to be convicted of their sin when they look at the word of God, and they're going to feel compelled to confess and do away with that. When they make the word of God a mirror to their life, they're going to say, hey, God's will, not my will. That's one mark of this remnant that we see in chapter 10. And we, so it begins to paint that picture of renewal. When you see renewal, you see the prayer, you see the fasting, the confession, the repentance. And you don't really see renewal without those things. When I search elsewhere in the Bible, especially here, Ezra and Nehemiah, it's tough to renew in our personal relationship with God. It's tough to renew as a group, as a ministry, as a church, when we don't have the prayer, the fasting, the putting away with things that are hindering us or entangling us. We need to see those things if we're going to see renewal. They see these things right here, even within these first five verses. Hey, we are guilty. We've been unfaithful. There's this great admission here, this great 
ownership by these people who are trembling at the word of God, who want to obey his commandments, it says. But then, hey, they, they're not stuck right there, right? In this, um, this self-rejection, in realizing their guilt. He says, hey, there is hope for us. <laughs> and there is hope for you too. There's hope when you have a brokenness about your sin. Amen? When you can see it and say, and also see that there's hope in Jesus Christ for us. Even in transgressions, even when we realize there's sin in our life, there is hope for those who fear the word of the Lord rather than presuming on the word of the Lord. Hope in his forgiveness. And then it's so encouraging right there in verse 4. And, and this is one of your coffee cup scriptures right here that some translations will, man, make this so motivating. Rise up. <laughs> We're behind you. We support you. Take responsibility. Act. Do it. And I believe we also see that in renewal, but champions of renewal will also awaken renewal in others. They're going to support others. Sometimes that takes a lot of patience. Sometimes people may not see their own sin at first. But you can be a champion of renewal by encouraging them, like right here in verse 5, hey, I support you. I'm behind you. Now rise up and take action. And Ezra takes courage. He takes action. Let's keep reading in verse 5 here. It says, so Ezra rose up and put the leading priests and Levites and all Israel under oath to do what had been suggested. They took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the went to the room of Johanan, son of Eliashib. While he was there, he ate no food and drank no water. It's a complete fast. Because he continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. And remember, this isn't Ezra's sin, but he's identifying with them, confessing with them, fasting and praying with them because he is under their same covenant. Verse 7, a proclamation was then issued throughout Judah and Jerusalem for all the exiles to assemble in Jerusalem. Anyone who failed to appear within three days would forfeit all his property in accordance with the decision of the officials and elders and would himself be expelled from the assembly of the exile. Serious precautions here. So they all get with it and they all assemble within three days. So as not to lose their property, not to be expelled. And remember, the king of Syria actually gave Ezra the authority of capital punishment. He could put people to death if he wanted, but he says, no, let's just get people together and talk about this. Verse 9, within three days, all the men of Judah and Benjamin had gathered in Jerusalem. And on the 20th day of the ninth month, all the people were sitting in the square before the house of God, greatly distressed by the occasion and because of the rain. <laughs> Then it sets a very gloomy scene here, this rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have been unfaithful. You've married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now honor the Lord, or other translations, confess to the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples around you and from your foreign wives. The whole assembly responded with a loud voice very convicted, loud voice, you are right. We must do as you say. 
But there are many people here, and it is the rainy season, so we cannot stand outside. <laughs> Besides, this matter cannot be taken care of in a day or two, because we have sinned greatly in this thing. Let our officials act for the whole assembly. Then let everyone in our towns who's married a foreign woman come at a set time, along with the elders and judges of each town, until the fierce anger of our God in this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, son of Asahel, and Jehaziah, son of Tikvah, supported Meshalam and Shabbatai, the Levite, supported by them and opposed to this. All right, there's a lot happening right there. There's a lot of assembling, a lot of months passing. They, they resolve to do a bunch of different things, and we don't want to glaze over it. They come up with a, a very clear and specific action plan of repentance. And they're convicted about it. They're, they're shouting it. Yes, you are right. Let's do this. They're serious. And they say, hey, there's, this is such a delicate process. Let's not make any quick decision right now. Let's really take care. Let's make sure we do this right. So amen. They, they all gathered within three days, but then they actually take three months to figure out how they're going to, to judge this, weigh this, address the sin properly. And again, it's this very, very sorrowful scene. They're drenched in tears. It says that there's heavy rain. This is during the winter season. They're all out there. They say, hey, well, it's it's raining. Like they're soaked and they're freezing. They're like, okay, what should we do about this? It's a powerful picture. Remember, as convicted they are about their sin. And as tough as it was, imagine, put yourself in their shoes. Okay, I have to travel across Israel. I'm going to lose all my property <laughs> if I don't. And I have to gather in the freezing rain and stand here with all these people and figure this out. And I have to take my family, the women and the children. We have to figure this out together. I, I would probably be telling myself, this is pretty tough. <laughs> Why should I go and listen to this guy, Ezra? But I would remember, hey, Ezra's been praying for me, fasting for me, and I want to support him. Ezra's making a stand on the word of God. I want to get behind that. So even though it would have been so difficult to make that journey, there's always a way to get right with God. It might be pretty difficult. It might be gathering in the freezing rain, taking your family, journeying for miles, but there's always a way to get right with God. There is always a hope, even for us today in Christ Jesus. So they confess their guilt. You were right. Let's do God's will. Um, almost everyone gets on board. Then they mention at the end there, there's a few who oppose, right? Three names are mentioned, plus these two other names, other Levites that support them, and they're opposed to the decision they come to. And it is a very strong position that they come to, right? Ezra's in a very tough spot. Hey, apparently there's this minority in Israel that's married foreign wives. And again, marriage was probably more of a business transaction than a love affair back then. And it's not the marriage itself so much as it is the, the abominations and the idolatry and the wicked ways that the foreign people bring in to the family and into the home. So Ezra's in a very tough spot. They, they resolve, hey, we need to send 
some of these people back, but they're going to be delicate. They're going to meet with them over three months, case by case. I, I imagine for Ezra, if some people were opposed to this, he doesn't exactly condemn them and say, oh, some people were totally in the wrong by being against this. No, he doesn't slander them, but he does make note, hey, not everyone was on board with this decision. It wasn't a 100% popular thing to do. Some people weren't on board. I don't know if they were in the right or the wrong by being opposed to it. They might have had spectacular reasons for being opposed to it. I know I could come up with some spectacular reasons for why we should be opposed to it. We don't know their reason. It might be a great reason, but I do know that there are always those, and some often even myself, there's always times when I think I know better than God. When I look at Ezra chapter 10 right here, I go, man, Ezra's doing some crazy things. These Israelites, this is some crazy repentance going on right here. Maybe it's a little legalistic, maybe this. But do I know better than God? than the word of God and what it's saying right here. When I start to think that way, I have to back up. So we don't know their reasons for opposing it, but I do know that there will always be people who oppose the word of God and who think that they know better than God. Let's pick it up in verse 16 here. Read 16 and 17. It says, so the exiles did as we proposed. Ezra the, the priest selected men who were family heads, one from each family division, and all of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to investigate the cases. And by the first day of the first month, they finished dealing with all the men who had married foreign women. So that's where you get the three months and that delicate process of support here. So basically, they're sitting down, you know, and they're, they're saying, hey, did you marry this woman? Um, you know, are there their witnesses? Hey, let's bring some judges from your hometown. Let's, you know, see if this can be proved. But even more important, let's let's speak with the wife and say, hey, do you believe in the one God here? Have you put away the idolatry and all these other things? You know, have you repented? Or are you insisting that no, you want to keep all these other things? That's the big issue. Have they become believers or are they stuck in these other ways? Now I have to read, and you can turn with your Bibles if you like. Right now, the, the contemporary prophet, Ezra is just a scribe, but the contemporary prophet is uh, Malachi. And we can turn to Malachi chapter 2. He says some interesting things to tell us more about where these women and where these men who married these women would have been at. And I'm going to start reading in Malachi chapter 2. I'll start in verse 10. It says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign God. Verse 12 it's pretty serious. Verse 12, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who, do, who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, 
with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. He says some powerful things there. They're, you know, they're, they're going through the motions. They're giving these free will offerings. They're, they're even covering it with tears. You know, there's this sincerity. They, they want to keep making these sacrifices to the Lord. It says, hey, they're awake and aware of what they're doing, but somehow turning a blind eye to it. You know, they, for what reason, God? Why? Why, why are you cutting us off? God's not regarding it. He's even cutting them off. He doesn't hear them, it says, because they're not repenting, because they're just going through the motions, but they're committing this great unfaithfulness. And detail it gives here, hey, neglecting the wife of your youth, dealing treacherously with her. So it would seem that these Jewish men that married foreign wives, if they're the same men being spoken about here in Malachi chapter 2, then they're men who are neglecting the wife of their youth, their original Jewish wife, neglecting and perhaps even divorcing their first wife so that they could take on another foreign wife. And here God in Malachi chapter 2 says, hey, don't divorce the wife of your youth. Don't neglect the wife of your youth. What's, what's going on here? So it, I believe some of that was going on. It wasn't as simple as, hey, they, they took on foreign wife. There's, there's a lot behind the scenes going on. Where's that wife's heart at? And hey, is there a wife of their youth that these men are also neglecting? The, these men, man, they're in tears. They're asking God why. It, it seems there's not a peace in their heart. They are convicted about this sin and same thing for us with the Holy Spirit today. When we're in error, you know, when, when we feel a little bit off, when there's not a peace in our hearts, the Holy Spirit's going to let us know that. The Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, there, there's something wrong here, you know, if the Holy Spirit is within you. There's something that you need to confess. You know, for me, to just share about my own life is uh, a few months ago back in I think October or November I was in a very similar spot where there's a, a sin in my life and I wanted to to minimize it I'm sure they were tempted to minimize it as well but I couldn't even see it at first they couldn't see their sin at first they had to have men like Ezra and Malachi come in and say hey this is actually sin <laughs> And what I'm so thankful for is in getting open about it, confessing it. Um, and I, I spoke with several men here in the church about it. My wife helped me with it. But I needed those men in my life to hear me out. I needed to have trusting relationships. You know, that's something you need if you're going to confess your sin with others. 
trusting relationships. But then those men were also helpful in that clear action plan that we see here in the scriptures. The three months of follow-up that Ezra has for, hey, what are we going to do about this? I had these trusting men in my life who were calling me saying, hey, how's it going with this? Hey, what are you resolving to do about it? Or calling up my wife, hey, Madison, how are you doing with this? How's Joey doing with this? And I trusted them enough to, yeah, please call my wife, step into our marriage. We need that. Men here in the church and men in other churches who are mentors. But I also needed my wife because even I didn't see the sin at first. I wanted to minimize it and just say, well, it's it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> well, it's just a little mistake, you know. Well, it's just missing the mark by a little bit. I have a handle on it. I, I needed my wife to say, no, this is really serious. Please, I, I have a concern. Trust me, you need to get open with some brothers about this. And so through all of that, Another one of my struggles, besides the minimizing, was just being humble. I imagine for them in Ezra 10, the humbleness it would have taken to travel, to go through this three-month process, to sit down with your whole family, to talk about this, to be judged, that takes a lot of humility. And for me, for brothers to, to call me up months after, hey, how's it going with this? For, for to be open to them speaking with my wife about it. There were times when I struggled to be humble, like, oh man, he's talking to Madison. Ah, okay, you know, what are they talking about? Maybe I can listen in. It required some humility. So back in Ezra chapter 10, you see a big list of names right there, which I'm not going to read. <laughs> but there is a big list of names. You can see in verse 44 there, it's the names of all these who had married foreign women, and some of them had children by these wives. So after the three months, after deciding, hey, who's going to repent? Who has a wife who's now going to believe and join us? All right, here's the list, and pretty uncomfortable. Hey, let's make it known. Here's the list of those who aren't repenting. <laughs> or here's the list of at least those who have married foreign women what we're going to do is send them away. And it seems pretty harsh, so let's talk about that. You know, you, you do the math by these names. It seems that there's 114 of these pagan wives who have refused to embrace the God of Israel. And it, perhaps they're even on board with this. Yeah, send me back. I want to go back. This is, this is too serious for me, all this repentance stuff. Perhaps it was very painful. We, we don't know for some of these cases. You know, we do see, it says in verse 44, that word, some of them had children by these wives. So it's, it's not a mass exodus of children, but there are some delicate cases where even some children have to be sent back and go with their mothers. But you do the math by these names. It seems that there's 114 pagan wives. It seems that less than one half of 1% of the nation of Israel is going through this. Yet Ezra takes several chapters to talk about this. Less than one half of 1% of the people were guilty of this pagan intermarriage and had to go through with divorcing their wives. And it seems like such a small percentage to us, certainly to me, but it still had to be dealt with strongly. 
So less than one half of 1%, and even of those, only some of them had children. Again, for me, that's where I look at this. I want to minimize it and say, well, that's only a few. <laughs> that's not everybody. Ezra, what's the big deal? You know, can't they just live on the outskirts or something? No, there's a very strong response to it. Ezra doesn't give in to that temptation of minimizing. And there's a strong response because it affects the entire nation of Israel, the entire corporate relationship, their covenant with the Lord. Same thing for us in the church. Even though a minority of us might be going through something, even if it's not sin, even if it's just something emotional or something in our life, in our small group here, it affects us all, right? Because we all know each other, trust each other. We all want to be, we all want to know and support one another in our relationships with the Lord. So even though if there's something that's one half of 1%, it affects us. When one of us is off, we want to get behind that disciple, love them, support them, and help them realign themselves, renew with God. Not only we see here in Ezra 10 is that confessing, but that's repentance. Stopping our ways into doing God's will. Doing whatever it takes to get back to God. And that's what I see in the names here. It's not a list of names of, look at all these people who messed up. <laughs> oh my goodness. Let's record them in the Bible and it'll be infamous. Yeah, it's a list of people who messed up, but it's, it's also a list of people, these men, who are willing to do what it takes to get back to God, who are willing to repent, who are willing to do something very extreme and very tough. And there is always a way for us to get back to God. Even though it requires humility, even though it requires us not to minimize it. So let's touch again on that picture that we've painted of the spirit-stirred remnant. Now coming to this place of great confession, great courage, and great repentance. That picture we've painted, it's a picture of a spirit-stirred remnant aligned with God's presence in worship when they build the altar, right? And they're worshiping. There are people with a red-hot faith to go from exile back to Jerusalem. There are people who take courage of heart because they know God's grace and his steadfast love is on them. There are people of fasting and mourning for their sin. But also there are people of prayer and confession. There are people who fear and obey the word of God and they live it by repenting and doing God's will. There are people who accomplish his purposes rather than their own. There are people who take responsibility, who rise up and support others in rising up, support others in renewal. They're an imperfect people. They, they do some messed up things in this, in this book of Ezra. They're an imperfect people, but they do have a perfect hope in God, in forgiveness. Same for us, in Christ Jesus and his forgiveness. So I ask in, in closing and as we transfer to communion here, and as we're going to speak about in our upcoming workshop on renewal, what does renewal look like for you? 
for your household, for your ministry, but it has to start with your own heart. Before looking at others, what does renewal look like for you? Realigning with God. To be in sync with him. So now, if you, if you do have communion supplies at home, you can collect that, some juice, some bread. If you don't, you can join us in spirit and prayer. But I want to read again that opening verse of 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And God wants to renew us. We can't have that renewal without a realignment with him, a confession, a repentance, and doing his will. Let's go to our Father God in a word of prayer. I'm going to pray for our communion and then play a worship song as we commune with him. Father God, thank you for today, for, for everyone gathering on Zoom here. Lord, even though it's tough, we just read about them, man, going going all the way in the freezing cold and the rain to, to talk about their sin and to make this list of names, uncomfortable stuff. God, I thank you that, that we can strain to realign with you, to have fellowship with others that we can meet on Zoom. And God, we, we do that because we want to be in sync and alignment with you. We want to commune with you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your grace and your steadfast love. Your assurance, Lord, that we can renew when we humble ourselves, when we pray to you, when we confess you offer forgiveness. God, we need to be renewed day by day, just like them in Ezra chapter 10. We're an imperfect people, but Lord, we thank you for your perfect hope. God, we want to experience renewal. We know that it can be uncomfortable, but Lord, we thank you so much for the comfort that you bring us, for the courage that you bring us. Lord, we thank you for, for your sacrifice enabling that. The, as we take the bread now representing your son's body and the juice representing his blood, we thank you for the hope. We thank you for your steadfast love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It would mean so much to us if you were to leave us a review and a rating for our podcast so that this message can reach others. Thank you.